And welcome back to the Conservative Conscience here at Conservative Reviews Northern Command here in Central Maryland. And it is late Thursday afternoon, April the 4th. And we are busy as anything. I got like 10 Word documents up uh, open in, in my uh, uh, on my desktop here trying to start on 50 million articles. You name it. Obviously, immigration. But even stuff on the debt and health care that I haven't had time to write this week. I just need to carbon copy myself because there's just too much work to be done, too much truth to be told. Because when you're one of the only independent conservatives in this business, truly independent from a party, a body of Congress, a member of Congress, even the White House, and certainly any uh, broader news network that has a particular agenda that really isn't conservative, um, there's a lot to say (laughs) Uh, because others aren't going to say it. And you still have to follow me at Arm Conservative if you want to get the full Daniel experience because I just haven't had time to get at all my thoughts um, just on immigration alone. But today we're going to talk a lot about immigration from a unique standpoint. Are we allowed to have a nation state? Are we allowed to have a country? I mean, that that's really the question. Are you allowed to have a country? Um, we're going to have Todd Benzman on in a moment to discuss a country that believes in its nation state status. But I was just thinking to introduce Todd. I watched all morning this hearing. You might have seen me tweet about it. Senate Homeland Security hearing chaired by Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin about the border crisis. And my buddy Mark Morgan, who is the former uh, Border Patrol chief, really gave solid testimony to get everyone focused that we basically have an invasion. It's harming Americans first and foremost. Obviously, by extension, it really harms everyone and it empowers the cartels. We are causing it with our policies. Do we believe in ourselves? It's not about what other countries could do. Um, or please help us, or, okay, maybe if we give you a trillion dollars in aid, you know, maybe you'll uh, be nice enough not to send us migrants. No, no, no. We're not a two-bit country that can't control ourselves. We can control ourselves, and it's, it's a question of we don't want to because it's not politically correct to evidently believe in sovereignty. Um, this is what we proved of America in 1989, 1993, and um, what we did with the Haitian migration, Nicaraguan migration, But America in 2019 is a different place. It's a different place because Democrats that used to believe in sovereignty uh, no longer do. Um, So their only concern about the border is that we don't have five-star Hiltons waiting for 100,000 migrants uh, a a month to take care of them. So they don't think we're doing enough for them. And then, you know, once something becomes ubiquitous among Democrats – it becomes ubiquitous among the culture and the media culture, the political culture, and then even the few Republicans that kind of meaningfully want to push back are too scared, and that's where we are. But I want to give you an example of a country that has much fewer resources than America, a much smaller uh, country, but actually doesn't seem to have a problem controlling its border. They don't need to ask, call up uh, other European countries or Afghanistan and say, hey, could you please stop sending us migrants? Like, you know, what, 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 what sort of ransom could we pay you to stop? No, they actually just turn the spigot off and they stop it um, because they believe in themselves. That is the country of Hungary. And in order to discuss this, we're going to bring on Todd Benzman, who is certainly no stranger to this show, a friend of the conservative conscience. Todd is a senior national security correspondent or actually fellow, but he's also kind of a correspondent at center for immigration studies. He writes for PJ media. He writes for federalist. He writes everywhere. And he also has his Intel background in Texas department of public safety until, until recently when he left after a decade of work there. And he travels the world to find different lessons. We had him on to debrief him after his Panama trip. And now we're going to debrief him about Hungary. 
Hey, Todd, great to have you back again. And I, I know you're sick. Are you feeling all right? No, I'm good. I'm good today. Yeah, just so you guys know, Todd did Fox and Friends this morning, which is a good thing. It's good to know Fox uh, still wants to have people like that on. I don't know if they'll have him on after coming on my show, but um, he woke up at 3.45 to do one of those hits. So um, who's to say a keyboard warrior is not grueling work? Um, anyway, Todd, why should we care in America about Hungary? Well, Hungary is an interesting case study for the issue of two, two things. One is... Uh, mass migration, which barreled right over Hungary about three years ago, three, four years ago in 20, 2015, which um, was the peak of the migrant crisis into Europe, where you had two million plus migrants uh, moving through. And uh, it had to do something about it, or, you know, it, it decided to do something about it. Uh, then the other thing about, about, um, Hungary is that that it decide what it decided to do is build a fence, a barrier, a border barrier. There aren't that many uh, countries that decide to on the on the spur of a moment build a border barrier to deal with problem one. So they had uh, a solution to problem one, and that's what they decided to do. <clears throat> so they um, they are a kind of a case study or a laboratory for. Uh, a, a micro, mass by illegal migration problem of the sort that the United States is contending with at the very moment and has been for a while. Um, there are obvious differences between Hungary and the United States. It's a small country of 10 million. Uh, there's a lot of uh, political homogeneity there. They um, kind of are all on the same page on, on this kind of an issue, and we're not. Mm -hmm. uh, their system of government, their democracy, uh, you know, it's not it's not just a uh, an authoritarian dictatorship where somebody can just decide to do something. Uh, and their legal system is different. And, uh, and, and and so there are some some differences. So you know, I'm not um, Pollyanna about that. Uh, but they're a good case study. They built a fence. They built a, a pretty good stout fence. They did it fast and they did it uh, fairly uh, cost effectively, and it ended their migration problem almost overnight. Much and, to the consternation of the world. So, could you just give some some of the just the numbers and the time, like you know what they had before in 2014, what they're seeing now, and just the nature of of what the wall is? How many miles is it? It's 330 miles. Initially, uh, they built this wall with their military and uh, they used uh, some prisoners to get that thing up. They had 400,000. Hungary is positioned on what, uh, what on the so-called Western Balkan route. There are three or four main routes into Europe that uh, the migrants were, were um, taking depending on what part of the world they were from. They're from Africa you know, most of them were going through the what they call the Mediterranean route. It's an ocean route. They'd have to cross the uh, sea. Uh, there are two of those, actually. The Balkan route was the one that swung around, uh, went went up through Central Europe, and then swung around into um, Germany, you know, through through um, uh, Austria and uh, Germany, and then um, on into France. That one was an interesting route because it, it's the one that, that Syrian that led from Syria and Iraq and the Middle East. So they would come up from Greece, Turkey, then over the, the sea to Greece, and then from Greece straight north, Macedonia, Serbia, Croatia, Hungary. So it was a transit state, not a destination state. Mm. Uh, so, so by the time uh, by, by by you know September of 2015, 400,000 migrants had gone straight through, just barreled through Hungary. It's not a big country, and clogged its roads and rail systems, and uh, really jammed up that country, something awful. And they just decided that they weren't going to put up with it, 
even though most of those migrants weren't even trying to stay there, they were just moving through, but they were kind of trashing the place as well and causing uh, a lot of chaos and expense. So they put up a chain link fence, mostly at the beginning, a lot of barbed wire, 110 miles of it on the first leg over the Serbia uh, part. That's where most of the migrants are coming through. They're coming up through um, Macedonia and then um, Serbia and then straight. That was the most direct route. So that's where they closed it off in September 2015. It took them about three months to get that first uh, 110 miles up. Cost about $100 million. And within... A month or two, it was it was kind of over. It, it was it wasn't a pretty uh, a pretty thing. There were riots. Uh, people might remember what happened at um, Tijuana and mm-hmm. San Diego back in uh, November. It, it looked like that times about five, <laughs> magnified about five times. Uh, but then once that was over, uh, they were able to uh, gain control of that part of the border. You can stop me and ask questions if you need, but the migration um, train, I guess, shifted then to go around the, f- the fence. So so it moved from Serbia into Croatia. The Croatians were more than happy to help them across the border into Hungary with their border. And the Hungarians just responded by putting another couple hundred mile fence on Croatia. That left the migrants to then move further west to try to get in through Slovenia, and, and Slovenia responded by building a fence, which nobody really knows about, but they did. Uh, and then at that point, they were pretty much defeated. You couldn't really um, get through. Uh, the, and, and so the Western Balkan route by that point was pretty much, for all intents and purposes, shut down. So how would they get to Germany and France and all the open border countries? They would go further on the Adriatic Sea coast, or they would go through, you know, more closer to Russia. Well, they would. You mean before the fence went up? No, after. And I'm saying in general, how did the migration continue to Western <clears throat> Europe if they shut down that route? Well, uh, uh, you know, the the other routes were still open, but but there were other policies that were happening at the same, roughly about the same time. I want to say about. By mid-2016, the Western European governments finally got a clue because, of course, by this time there was uh, bloody mayhem being wrought by Islamic terrorists who had come in through Hungary. By my count, about 20 before the fence went up, about 23 ISIS terrorists got through to, to France and Belgium and Germany uh, right through Hungary on the Balkan route. So that had a political impact. There was a consequence. And one of the consequences was, hey, you know, stop this migration. It's killing us, literally. So the Europeans cut a deal with Turkey and said, listen, for, uh, you know, every other migrant, we're going to send back to Turkey. We're going to deport. We're going to deport every other migrant to Turkey. They started an airlift. And, uh, of course, they had to pay for that. So for billions, and I forget what the number is, but it was billions and billions of dollars, euros, to pay Turkey off to, to uh, create uh, refugee camps on its territory. So now if you came, you had a 50, if you tried to come any other route, there's a 50% chance that you were going to get sent back. And that had enough of, a, of an impact to stop most of that mass migration. It's still kind of happening on some of those routes. <laughs> and then other methods, you know, they were being intercepted by sea and returned to Africa, to places in Africa. And then by, by the time that happened, uh, you, you really just had a, uh, there weren't a whole lot of alternatives to, to keep going with the migration into Western Europe, but you still have it. It's just not anywhere near uh, at the scale that it was. Sure. sure. I mean, we all remember that. And, that, and that's really what it conjures up now. You know, until now, we we're trying to compare our um, 
you know, what's going on to previous decades of illegal immigration. You know, we're trying to say it's getting as bad as it's ever been. Now it's worse than it's ever been. But really, it's nothing like we've ever had. It's now what we have now is actually it, it really is. It's not the traditional illegal immigration. It's not a matter of numbers. It's the 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 style. It really conjures up the European migration from 2014. That just just people coming in mass, not you know, clandestinely, you know, a couple people here and there. Even even if there's a lot of them, but just in sheer numbers. And, you know, we have just one country with a border. It's a long border, but it's one country. And we're a big, powerful nation. We're supposed to be the superpower of the world. But you're telling me Hungary, you know, small country, not nearly as many, you know, they don't have uh, the military we have. They don't have the resources we have. They're they're landlocked by seven nations. So they got a lot to deal with. And you're telling me after a couple months, they, they, they shut it down. Yeah, it it. it. It was the fence. Uh, it, it was a, an okay fence, but it was really just the fence was what was all they needed. Because remember, there were a lot of uh, young men that were coming through, but there were also lots of family units as well. And even a simple fence can stop a family unit. Uh, there was barbed wire. There was uh, rebar. There were lots of uh, re- there's lots of razor wire, but. But it wasn't just the fence that did it. You had to have, as they, the Hungarians explained to me, a set of people management, uh, migrant, migrant management policies in addition to the fence. And there were three main ones. And one of the main policies was, uh, as it was described to me, live force. So they just put a lot of personnel, boots on the ground, on the Hungarian side of the fence, mass patrols, lots and lots of patrolling. So the migrants were, were trying everything they could to get through the fence. They were tearing it down in places. They were cutting through it. Uh, they, they would um, find ways to go over it. But the, there, there were usually a Hungarian, there was usually Hungarians waiting for them on the other side. To, to is that, is that military or do they have a border patrol? Yeah, they used their military, and they also used their border. They increased their border patrol. They used their military, and then they brought their police in as well. So they had three different kinds of forces, and they were all moving around. And to this day, they patrol rigorously that fence. And then the other thing they did <clears throat> was they established um, a policy of, um, to deal with their asylum. So we have, we, as, as you've talked about and reported lots of times on your show and in your writings, and I have too, that to, to gain access to the United States, all you have to do is just say, I declare asylum, and you're in, and released, and that's it. Uh, but Hungary's got a similar, uh, that they, they are obligated by international treaty uh, and their own law to... Uh, provide asylum for uh, refugees, legitimate, authentic refugees who ask for it. What they did instead was um, they set up what's called a tra- what's called transit zones on their fence. So if you want to declare asylum, you have to do it. At, you can. We're happy to take you as an asylum and consider your asylum claim. But you have to do it at a transit zone, which is a three-sided enclosure with the fourth side deliberately left open so that they meet uh, one of the obligations of their treaty, one of their treaty obligations, which is that they can't restrict the movement of refugees. Uh, they can, they, 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 you can't, you can't, uh, remove freedom of movement. So the transit zones are three-sided camps, I guess. And you go there and you apply for asylum and you have to wait until you get an adjudication and you have to wait there. Now, you don't have to wait, but uh, if you want to wait, you can wait and they'll adjudicate it. And if you get asylum, they'll bring you in through the gate and let you go. If you don't get asylum, then they just say, okay, you're, you don't have asylum. Uh, you can stay here if you want, but we're going to stop feeding and sheltering you. You no longer have a right to, to food and shelter. Uh, so you can leave whenever you want. 
you're free to go. So they, it was sort of an ingenious uh, invention for, for, for that. It was on, it's, it's a little bit like an airport, international airport. Mm. You, you fly into somebody's country, you're on their territory, but you're not really quite in yet. You have to go through passport inspection, and the country has to stamp you approved to, to enter. You got to make sure that you are who you say you are and all the rest of that. And if they want to, they can find a reason not to let you in. Uh, in which case, you can board a, a flight home or to some other part of the world right there, but you're not getting in. So it was described to me the transit zones of Hungary are, are like that. So if you did get caught cutting the chain or getting over chain link or getting over, they would just catch you and, and put you in and say, yeah, that's great that you want asylum. Here you go. Get in line and we'll feed and shelter you while you wait. You know, that sounds very similar to my article yesterday. I mean, deter, you can't come in. And if somehow you're in and it's not feasible to push you back, you essentially have tent cities um, where we have a rocket docket, get you out of here if you're bogus. If then, it, you know, if you're real, then we'll let you in. Um, but of course, you know, there they have the will to implement those policies. And here we don't. Um, is, is the current government there? I, I really don't know much about it. Usually you have, loosely speaking, some sort of right-leaning party and left-leaning party in Europe. This is uh, the Prime Minister Viktor Orban. Is that right or left or in between? Yeah. <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. The, excuse me. The Orban government is right-wing mm -hmm. nationalist. Uh, they, the, the, the party is uh, – it's it, it, it's a coalition with uh, some other right-wing parties. Uh, the, they're characterized throughout Europe as kind of authoritarian and uh, xenophobic and, you know, all of the uh, isms that you can think of are thrown at that government, uh, especially over the immigration issue. But, um, and they've also been uh, called anti-democratic and all of that. Uh, they're, they're you know highly criticized for their immigration policy. But that's where they stand. They're on the right, especially in terms of European politics. But but did you pick up in, in, in a general sense that they have a 50% there that's opposing this and protesting it? <coughs> or is it pretty much no, consensus? Um, yeah, I mean... The, the, the way that they described it to me is that before they did anything, they did it. They conducted a, a series of plebiscites where they kind of, you know, they send a letter out saying, hey, uh, you know, check yes or no on this, you know, concept. And uh, they, you know, would send millions of these out and millions would come back saying do it. So in their view, they they were, you know, uh, you're following the will of their people. Now, if you did a plebiscite like that here in the United States, you might just get half and half. Uh, but they enjoy the um, support for these policies of their their people. And he, he was just returned to office, and he has been reelected three times now. Mm. So, and a lot of it over over his willingness to stand firm in the face of really withering nonstop criticism from the European powers, the European parliament. That's interesting that, you know, the main blowback came from external forces, but not really inside his country. No, only, in, only externally. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're very proud of that. They're, and they're very uh, defiant about the idea that, you know, we're a sovereign country. And they'll tell you this when you interview. I've interviewed some senior officials, and I, um, you know, I've gone through the public record, and you know, their idea is that you know we have the right to enforce our borders. We don't really care what any of you think. We're going to um, establish these borders, uh, hard borders. We're going to enforce them. Uh, and they've spent the last three years, you know, wh while they're enduring the criticism of the effectiveness of, of their border fencing, of doubling it up, putting more fencing and more wiring and more of it in more places. 
and continuing their policies. Another policy that was uh, interesting and effective for them was uh, if they criminalized, they put under their Hungarian criminal code uh, fence cutting or fence or trying to defeat the fence. You do something to damage the fence, you can go to prison for 10 years in Hungary. If you create a disturbance, if you riot or attack a border patrol officer, it's 10 years. And they, they actually prosecuted. They prosecuted lots and lots of people and have imprisoned them for people that were doing some of the riots in 2015 and who attacked border guard, Hungarian border guards. If they, got a, if they got into the hands of the Hungarians, they were going to go to prison. And that had the effect of putting the kibosh on a lot of that sort of activity. So when I was there, it was kind of all quiet on the southern front. I went to Croatia, Serbia, <coughs> Croatia, Serbia, and um, Romania. And um, it was, uh, and did a lot of interviews and saw for myself, it's pretty quiet down there. There's still a few migrants that, that try to defeat the fence, but really small numbers, like, you know, a thousand in a year or something. And then, of course, as you're saying, they have interior enforcement, too. In other words, you know, it's not like, hey, you're illegal, but actually, if you're here, you know, you can get a driver's license and, you know, birthright citizenship and welfare. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they do deportations. Yeah. If you if you get caught in the interior, you don't have your right papers, you're going to go where? To the transit center, to the transit <laughs> zone to apply for asylum where if you don't want to apply for asylum, the back's open, you can leave. Uh, but that's another interesting policy that, that they do. It's called pushback, pushbacks. What I just described there would be a pushback. <clears throat> um, it was infectious in that, part of the, in that part of the world because what was happening is Serbia was ending up with pooled up pools of migrants that Hungary uh, had pushed back, that caught and pushed back. And Serbia was extremely upset about this initially. And uh, sure. when they found that they, they couldn't give them to Croatia, because Croatia, because the fence went up in Croatia, they were all kind of, the Croatians were stuck with them too. So the Croatians and the Serbs adopted pushback policies of their own. So well, if you come here and you can't advance, we're going to push you back to the last country. Oh my God. Which is which is Bosnia yes. and uh, Macedonia. And so they were pushing them back. So the migrants were, were finding, if <clears throat> they come anywhere into this territory, and any of these border guard caught them, they were going to get pushed back to the last country. So today you have the circumstance where there's about 40,000 migrants that are stuck in Bosnia. The Croatians every, have beefed up their border patrol on their south, so of the Serbs. So anybody coming into Croatia or, or uh, Serbia get pushed back to Bosnia. And the Bosnian, the migrants that had, are stuck there either didn't know this or their smugglers didn't tell them. And so they're just stuck in Bosnia, northern Bosnia. There's 40,000 of them that were trying to get through. That's, that's called pushback. And it, it was infectious. Nobody wanted it. It's like a hot potato. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but what you're saying, Todd, I don't even know if you, I mean, I think you realize it, but it is so relevant to our situation in the Western Hemisphere because in the past, so first of all, you know, you, you use the word pushback, you know, as your, um, your buddy, our mutual friend now, uh, Jason Jones would say, you know, we had turnbacks. Yeah, or, or, well, no, 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 no. Um, even a step before that, there's expedited removal, and that's really in the law, but there were turnbacks. We would just turn them back. But the thing is, you know, back then it was primarily Mexicans, so obviously it was of their ilk, and they'll keep coming back because it's their country. But here, the beauty is, if we actually adopted the same policies, we'd have the same success because they're Central Americans. And, um, the Mexicans don't really want them. And certainly there's a lot of, you know, you saw that a lot of the politics in Northern Mexico, they don't want them there. So now they don't mind the transit now because they know ultimately we'll take them in. But if we start pushing them back, I think it's pretty safe to say Mexico, Mexico would deal with them. 
they they would they would they would oh, secure yeah. their border. Yeah, well, the, the, they would pool up in Mexico, and we saw what happened in Tijuana. They didn't like it. They had to disperse them, uh, but they could very well push them back to Guatemala. They'd pool up in Guatemala, and Guatemala could push them back to, uh, you know, the the country uh, before that. So there was a. Um, an effort by the migrants and their smugglers in, in the Hungarian theater to, to circle around to uh, through Romania, which had an unprotected, uh, an unfenced border with Hungary. So they tried that, <laughs> and the Hungarians responded by telling Romania, hey, look, if you don't push them back, we're going to build a fence here in three or four months. <laughs> against you know, you're going to get stuck with them just like the Serbs got stuck with them so the Romanians beefed up their border with Serbia and by you know in the thousands they were pushing them back into Serbia so eventually uh, you know and then the Serbs were then pushing them back to uh, Macedonia again <clears throat> and Bosnia so Romania really kind of got a handle on on the the problem when they tried to swing around through Romania and I drove into Romania and I talked to some border some border guard there. Uh nowadays the the way that they're getting in is they have to hide the old-fashioned way which is to, you know, smuggle in on trucks and cars and that sort of thing. Sure, but you All can't get of, mass migration that way. You know, you're not going to have large uh, numbers. They were blasted back to the stone age of um of uh human smuggling, you know. <laughs> it's funny what you're describing here. It's, it's it's fascinating that it's a trickle down effect because really the other countries might have started with Hungary, but they also had a similar mindset that they believed in their sovereignty. They the people kind of have a common cause. They're not infected with the moral relativism of the West. So, are you in fact telling me that among other factors? The reason why the great European migration or, or Middle East migration to Europe abated was certainly not because Germany, France, and some of these Western countries started getting tougher. It's just because they couldn't get there because of the Eastern European countries. Absolutely. Absolutely. There were just hundreds of thousands coming in on that Balkan route, and Hungary just took a stand and shut it down, and not without controversy and criticism, but if you, it, it's kind of Hungary's, kind of like their Guatemala. You have to pass through it. You pretty much have to pass through it. It's tough, tough to get around it, uh, or easy to defeat to get around it. And by the time it was all over, even Austria built a fence. A Western European nation built a fence, mm. and they got around the controversy because they called it a gate. <laughs> and they didn't bring reporters to it. They said, this is just a gate with wings, big, long wings that funnel people to the gate. <laughs> but um, Austria, a Western European country and a destination country, too, built was forced to build a fence. And didn't the Czech Republic then, do that as well? Or I heard something there. <laughs> I'm not sure about the Czechs, but uh, Macedonia was forced to build a fence. All of them eventually were forced to build a fence. It was like a ripple effect backwards into the sides. Once Hungary built it, you were stuck with them if you didn't build one too. Wow, that that is amazing because yeah, yeah, I mean you have like 10 different countries there and they and and one affects the other. Um and 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 also I think what you're saying is it's not just the wall, I mean because a lot of people might, you know, take out from this discussion, "Oh, so you build the wall, but there was a will built or already existing behind the wall that a they would patrol it and patrolling it not so we could be a five-star hotel for you but meaning so you will face consequences or we are you know if you want to apply for asylum we are going to contain you and it's not going to be pleasant if and worth it for you if you're not legit um i mean isn't isn't that what it is they had the will behind the wall they had the will and they they had policies that were crafted to to how do I say this? They were crafted in a way in a in a way that squarely addressed human nature. In 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 the sense that you know they they understood and the, the, the they understood that if they put the wall here, it would cause 
people to react by going there. So they prepared for that and they built policies around, you know, migrant, uh, I don't know, like a herd mentality. They understood what would happen. And they followed through and they understood that people don't want to wait for two months to get maybe a no on asylum. A lot of people that were put in the transit zones are like, I'm not waiting here for 45 days to get a no. So they left. Yeah. And the, and the truth be told, there's also one other element that's that makes what we're doing very difficult when you contrast it. Stop me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine in Hungary, this was kind of a f- relatively a first time event. So meaning until now, they really didn't have many other nationalities in the country, didn't have a lot of immigration. So you didn't have a pull and a receiving end that could A, attract them and B, almost sometimes enable and help them. Whereas in America, we had decades of illegal immigration pre-existing. And then we had we also did, did have a tremendous amount of illegal immigration from Central America. I mean, for many years, it's been in the top 10, even top five of our um, taking countries or countries of origin for immigration. So there's tons of relatives to, it's just a stronger magnet. So they're, you know, unless you really make it clear you're not going to come in, they're going to want to come in and they're going to have people in America to facilitate it and agitate for it. I'm assuming in Hungary, there really weren't too many people to too many existing family or, or anything. Right. Yeah, that's right. They, 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 <clears throat> for one thing, you know, the United States is, you know, the ultimate destination. Hungary was, was always a transit nation, uh, not a destination, uh, country. Nobody wanted to, uh, <laughs> when they were leaving Syria, or Iraq or something say to themselves, Hey, if we could just get into Hungary, we'll, you know, create new lives. It was a transit place. So earlier, uh, Hungary, you know, that they, they, they didn't, they enjoyed the, the, um, benefits of only seeing some of these people for short periods of time as they passed through. So they didn't have to deal with that. But, but by the time it got to 400 and 500,000 strong, and nobody could avoid it. It was visible. They were closing the train stations, uh, you know, and the bus lines and interfering with the economy. The uh, Hungarians just decided uh, this isn't going to happen. Wow. That's, I mean, a lot of really good lessons there. I want to let you go because um, I know you're, you're not feeling well. You've had a lot of traveling. Um, just real quick, one last question before you leave. So I just want to sum this all up. It's almost like you could draw a line in middle of Europe and you look at the policies east of that line and you know they're very much in line with what America would have been until this generation really where you know it, it might be you might be caught by surprise so it might start initially you might have to conjure up the resources but once you have those resources you're going to ensure you have the will and you're going to ensure that you have the policies in place to preserve your sovereignty. Whereas you go, go over to Germany, France, America, um, there's just no will. Um, what I always found fascinating was there is one European, no, one Western style country in my mind that still seems to believe in sovereignty and that's Australia. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit what you learned about Australia at a conference you attended in, in Hungary with Australian representatives? Yeah, sure. Well, Australia is a dest- a classic, you know, Western destination country. And most of their migration was coming through, uh, their illegal mass migration was coming on boats, obviously from, you know, South Asia, uh, if you look at a map, you can see all those countries in there. So they were having, you know, boats just filled with, uh, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of uh, migrants. They get into Australian waters. And when the Navy got there, they'd say, we want asylum. Or sometimes they would get ashore. <clears throat> so they have a, you know, the same kind of policy, too, that if you can get into Australian territory, and declare asylum, you know, you're, you're, you had a pretty good chance of, of getting in. So the labor governments, uh, were sort of, um, you know, I guess you, you, you could say they were, they were okay with that. <laughs> like Democrats. Uh, uh, yeah, they're democratic party. <laughs> so 
you, the first boat that, that they take, uh, you know, word gets back and, you know, new boats form up and, and come. And before long, you've got, you know, streams and streams of, uh, you know, caravans of boats filled with migrants coming to Australian waters. Well, the Australian electorate decided they revolted against that and put in a, a, a conservative government, which came up with policies to shut that down. The policy kind of went like this. Uh, they would they put the, the Navy out there and they would inter, inter, interrupt the uh, or they, they would apprehend the ships in the international waters and take them to an island. I believe it's called morale that was uh, it's Australian territory, but they kind of cleverly moved their jurisdiction away from that island in order to accommodate this policy. And they put up big detention camps there or refugee centers there where they could process for asylum. But you couldn't get into Australia proper. You had to stay there while your asylum claim was determined. Uh, and if you were deportable, then they would figure out a way to deport you if, uh, but you weren't going into the Australian mainland. Well, of course, you know, the first time the, the first ships, uh, you know, word got back to the original countries and nobody wanted to go to Australia anymore. So it kind of dried up. Usually it still happens, but, uh, of course the Australians come into withering international criticism for this. A labor government gets voted in. And threw out all those policies, and guess what happened? Of course, you had another mass migration by ship starting up. Uh, the Australian population saw this happening, voted the conservative government back in, and uh, that's where we are now. And they, they, you know, reinstituted everything and ended the migration. Wow! So there you have it. You know, it, 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 where there's a will, there's a way. It's it's really not that hard. Um, it it it's, and it's it, conservatives for some reason that are willing to do this. Well, and, and that's what it seems. It seems like you know, in in Eastern Europe, the the people in general are like that. In the Western world, you have a split, but I think the difference is that in most Western countries, and I, this is a really a long conversation beyond the scope of of, of your work, but just you know. Um, you have a very hard charging left wing party and left wing movement, and then you have kind of a fake right party, like the Republican Party or the, or the Tories, or certainly in France and Germany. I mean, Angela Merkel is officially a Christian Democrat. I mean, that's officially the the right leaning party, whereas Australia kind of seems like it's the only country that still has a right leaning party. So you know, we'll flip back and forth, and certainly. You'll have a left-wing party that will self-immolate as a nation, like you know, unlike Eastern Europe. But at least when they get into power, the conservatives they'll they'll take care of it, and so they're kind of in the middle. You know, Eastern Europe's on one end, and unfortunately, we're on the other end. Um, gosh, I could talk to you forever, but we'll have you back another time. Feel better, and thanks for your good work as always. Thanks, Daniel. There you have it, folks. That was Todd Benzman, Senior Fellow of Center for Immigration Studies. I would have uh, had him on a longer just to go through this analysis to round things up, but I just felt he was he was feeling sick. He literally woke up at 3.45 today to do uh, Fox and & Friends. And, um, but the, just to round this out, there's a lot of lessons there if you think about it. If you've been following this show closely and you've been following our work... Really, what they're doing in the countries is what I'm saying. It's common sense. As I was listening to this hearing today, I was struck by everyone except for Mark Morgan. It was this sense like, oh, we got to do something about, you know, the situation in Guatemala. We got to, there's certain NGO programs we could fund. We got to beg Mexico to do this. And I'm thinking to myself, we don't believe in ourselves as a nation. You just don't allow it in. No, yeah, I mean, you're never going to stop it unless you deal with the push-pull factor. No, no, no. You stop slitting your wrist if you stop slitting your wrist. It's really not complicated. It's this bureaucratic NGO mindset. They have these like you know people from the Migration Policy Institute testify there. Their their brains just don't work. And Eastern culture, they're just not infected with this problem. And like we noted in Australia, interestingly enough, there's enough of a normal mindset, at least on the right, to reflect really the majority of the people and speak to their common sense. We just don't have that anymore. 
It's shocking. I mean, you know, it's being announced now as we're on air, as I was talking with uh, Todd, Trump is going to back away from from closing off the border for a year and wait to see what Mexico does. I mean, do you understand a year at this pace? We're going to empty out half of these countries. You can't afford that. I, I, I am, I'm literally, I am actually shocked. To me, you know, it was frustrating. I've been reporting on this for over a year, but I felt finally the last couple of months has gotten to a point you, you got to act. And it's like, no, we don't believe in ourselves. Notice that every element of what they're doing is something I called for, and it's essentially current law. Because everything that we did when these laws were written, and in practice, 89, 93, 96 with IRA, we believed in the same things they did. It's not European nationalism. There's, there's, pro- there's things in Hungary I wouldn't want here in America. We're American patriots. But this component of it is not nationalism. It's nationhood. You got to have a nation. It's not that you emphasize the nation over the individual, but you got to have it. Otherwise, you don't have anything. And notice, one after another, it's a fence, but it's not just a fence. We patrol it. We hold the line. That's what we've been calling for. Notice they use their military. We seem to think in our country we can only use our military for humanitarian social work for other countries halfway around the world. But most countries view the military as, well, that's your border. You might have a a border patrol, but that's what it is. You put it on your border. You're you're presumptively a criminal if you come over. Oh, you want to declare asylum? Well, we're going to have a place. That's my tent city idea, which we did before. Or is Australia... Guess when we did that? 1992 and 93 under H.W. Bush, continue a little bit under Clinton, we processed the Haitians in Guantanamo Bay. That the American people should never be on the hook for it. That's the point. So it's all three ends. We're going to hold the line to not let you in. To the extent there's people who get in or you want to give asylum, they're confined. But again, notice what I said. People ask me what, what we do. What are you going to do? Oh, you can't, you can't hold them. We're not trying to hold them. I said very clearly, the president's making a mistake. He talked about shutting down the border. I think he didn't understand what, what some of us were talking about. And he talks about commerce. Hungary didn't shut down commerce. They didn't have to do that. Now, I know they probably don't have the same cross-border dependency on commerce that we do, but still, they have some. They didn't shut it down. They shut down migration. Shut down immigration requests. So the president does something that's like overkill and not even the point, and then he gets blowback on the trial balloon, and then now he backs off. No. Shut down migration. Everyone's like, well, what does that mean, Daniel? Okay, point of entry, don't let them in. There's a wall you don't go behind to bring them. What about where there's nothing? They're here. That's my point. You push push back. You send them back. You got to believe our sovereignty is more important than Mexico's sovereignty, which doesn't respect it and didn't respect us for decades. And what's the other lesson? The pooling effect he talked about. The pooling effect. How it forced other countries to do it. And that's the beauty of this. This is actually more redressable than past migration because in the past it was Mexican. So they're not going to get rid of their own people and they'll keep coming. Whereas here, they're Central Americans. You pull them up on their their side. You don't let them in and you push them back. Guess what? Mexico will start doing it. But if you're like, oh, let's give Mexico more money or other things with the NGOs and leverage, leverage, try to leverage them. No, you got to force it. But you force it from your vantage point. It's not like, we can't do anything without you, Mexico. No, no, we're going to do what we do. We're not letting them in. So so no matter what, there ain't no destination. Now, if you want them to pull in your country, well, that's that's your problem. And then certainly that will help us over time. We won't have to exert as many resources holding the line. It will be beneficial. But, but in terms of the immediate emergency, you got to send the military, hold the line, and that's it. And you don't let them in. You return them. 
You don't need to treat it like a war unless they get belligerent on you. You just return them. If you don't, you know, if you're scared of images of returning and whatever, then the next step is 10 cities. Right? Either, either you um go back or you stay in a 10 city. And notice he talked about there was a way out. I'm proposing the same thing. We don't want to keep you. We don't want you here. But you got to be willing to threaten it. They have to know you're not going to release them. So they say, hey, you know, go go back. You cannot enter. No, we're entering. Okay, then we take you to, to 10 City. You could always voluntarily depart. That is what we will do. And all of that is under existing law. Certainly under the shutoff. The extenuating 212F to shut everything off. We're not processing asylum. So if we're not processing, you can't come in. And if you're going to force your way here and refuse to leave and it's not feasible to get you back, then we're just going to hold you until you're willing to leave. But even under existing asylum law, without 212F to the president's power to shut it off, the law mandates we hold them. If you're going to talk about feasibility of, of there's nowhere to hold them, you got to build the tent cities. That's certainly a lot cheaper than what's going on. If you look at the effects, nobody wants to talk about the effects on America. It amazes me. It is inconceivable that people that are coming in countries with outbreaks of measles, chikungunya, chickenpox, mumps, chagas, even malaria and TB... It's inconceivable that you could take these people within 24 hours, dump them into our country. Just dump them into our country. This is from the um, Inspector General's report in 2014 when the UACs came, who again are the same demographic. Quote, many UAC and family units require treatment for communicable diseases, including respiratory illnesses, tuberculosis, chickenpox, and scabies. UAC and family unit illnesses and unfamiliarity with bathroom facilities resulted in unsanitary conditions and exposure to human waste in some holding facilities. DHS employees reported exposure to communicable diseases and becoming sick on duty. In addition, USPB personnel at the Clinton Station and Santa Teresa Station, that's in New Mexico, reported that they were potentially exposed to tuberculosis. But now we're, we're, we're releasing all them. No one talks about that. No one talks about, it's all about the migrants, but what happens afterwards? What happens to us? And then there's another thing, which just irks me no, no end. We are paying for the rope to hang ourselves with. As Karl Marx predicted, I mean, could you imagine paying for a rope to hang yourselves and that payment would also enrich the most evil people in the world? We are having our Border Patrol and ICE and HHS in contravention to law complete the criminal conspiracy of the most evil cartels and smugglers to deliver these volatile Central American teens to other illegal aliens who pursuant to law must be deported, thereby making them ineligible for resettlement. And we're resettling them as refugees. The other ones have de facto amnesty, right? These guys have real, full status. We resettle them. It's the Office of Refugee Resettlement Budget. And you know what? I, I jumped out. I really jumped out of my um my my seat when I saw at another hearing today, Senate Appropriations Subcommittee hearing on, I guess, over healthcare, HHS Secretary Azar, because he runs the Office of Refugee Resettlement, he said they are running out of money for resettling Central American minors and holding them and caring for them. And that's after a $383 million transfer and reprogramming 
of other HHS healthcare funds. You know, you know what's funny? People go to town over the president reprogramming defense money for something that's quintessentially defense, right? And it's for America to protect Americans. Somehow no one no one's bothered by the fact that A, we're spending money in the first place. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get the tab. Not the lifelong tab. That's hundreds of billions, but there's several billion up front this year that it's costing us just the holding, caring, and, and resettling. But we reprogrammed healthcare funds. Now, you know, I'm not into this, but it, this, this is sacrilege. Oh, healthcare programs. So you're taking money from American healthcare programs to settle MS 13 punks. So you could enrich and encourage more to come and get hundreds of millions. So let's say, you know, six to eight thousand a pop per each one goes to the cartels. Hundreds of millions of dollars to them while we spend billions to resettle them. So one after another, they can engage in murder and mayhem. I mean, one after another, Fox 45 News, this is my hometown, Baltimore, Fox Station. Three Montgomery County MS-13 members plead guilty to murder. Talk about all these guys with a whole click there. Um, this is not in Baltimore, but it's in uh, in uh, Montgomery County. Another story from Fox National. Um, deported MS-13 member, convicted killer in the U.S., caught back on New York's Long Island. It's another story. Um, I didn't even have time. I mean, every I, you, you got to watch my Twitter feed. I, I can't even keep track of all these stories. Every day, there's more people killed. This jogger in New Jersey was killed by an illegal. Um, he was twice deported before. And this was, it looks like a legal immigrant who was killed. She was an, uh, appears to be a legal immigrant. I can't verify that she herself is not illegal. But think about that. Someone who comes here legally gets killed by an illegal immigrant. That's when their entire uh, phony, um, bogus sense of compassion comes full circle. It amazes me that we are at this point and we feel that it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. No matter how bad it gets, it's like there's no balancing of equities. Because because you're too scared of of, you know, spending a little time to push back some of these migrants. Illegal aliens, not migrants. You know, you, you you have the right to you know migrate all you want, but you can't do it here. But we will not speak about. I mean, if you look at the two sides, I mean, even if you had a fiduciary responsibility for Guatemalans, let's just indulge that for a minute. If you would look at the balance of equities on an equal playing field, that. Our government officials have to equally care about Americans and equally care about Guatemalans. Let's just just indulge that. You look at what we are doing to Americans. You look at what we're doing to other legal and, frankly, illegal immigrants, too, where they cluster and extort them on our soil. MS-13 takes over these neighborhoods. You look at the revenue we're giving the cartels. You look at the drugs. You look at the gangs. You look at, obviously, the raping and everything that occurs. So you you look at the fiscal cost. You look at the health care. I mean, it is just, even if you would factor in the, 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 you know, migrants that it would benefit from their perspective, certainly is a hundred zero loss for America. But even on their side, if you put it all together, it it would easily be 95-5 on one end. How much more so that your responsibility as an elected government is solely for your people. And by the way, I just want to note, in addition to 212F, okay, 
So that's 1182F in, in code, 8 U.S.C. 1182F. There's 8 U.S.C. 1182A7A1 something. It's in the 1182. On, in, in, 1182 is all about inadmissibles. So there's a specific statute, and again, it's been in place forever in some form, that makes you inadmissible on health-related grounds. If you have communicable diseases of public health, Significance or failing to present documentation of having received vaccination against vaccine preventable diseases, which shall include at least the following diseases, mumps, measles, rubella, polio, tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, influenza, type B and hepatitis B, and any other vaccinations against vaccine preventable diseases. Conviction of certain crimes or multiple criminal records. Okay, so that's that's something else. But, I mean, I don't understand. Like, Daniel, we have to let them... What, what do you mean? The law says the opposite. It is unbelievable. The bottom line is, the lesson from Eastern Europe is, they believe in nationhood. We do not. We are a government of, by, and for virtue signaling and foreign nationals to hell with Americans and, and sadly, I don't know what this president's doing. I don't get it. But, you know, it is what it is. We're going to keep telling the truth, fear God, and attempt to make money, as Steve Dace would say. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, this has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.